Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Nick Wilson, owner of Nick Wilson Architects, an architectural firm who specializes in storytelling through architecture. Nick, hello. Hi. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? The word leader means to me, uh, I think, to inspire and to, uh, well, obviously to lead, but yeah, to inspire and infuse and to create passion um, with the people you work and um, all around you, really. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? I'm uh, I'm quite proactive, but also um, I'm quite relaxed in the way I approach leadership, and I'm quite flexible, so I'm not uh, one fit all, if that makes sense. I tend to suit the way I lead and the way I hopefully inspire in relation to who I'm with, so it's whether the people in my office or whether it's people in the consultant team or my projects or it's someone else who I meet. Uh, generally, I tend to just, uh, tailor my approach to uh, whoever it is I'm meeting. And I'm quite flexible and quite open, so I'm always open to learn and, and try new styles, really. Now, of course, leadership doesn't start just when one's in a leadership position. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Were there any particular individuals or set of circumstances that really formed the way that you lead today? Yeah, I think probably at university it started really when I had really good tutors who um, you know, were really good and quite nurturing. And then through my um, professional career early on in some of the practices I've worked in, I had really good uh, project architects, associates and leaders. Um, and, and they all had a different style, but generally they were all quite enthusiastic and quite nurturing, I think, is the way. As a young architect, I got lots of opportunity, lots of experience, and that opened up me and my eyes to a way of being, you know, you can, you can lead and be firm and be strict and be, and be uh, ahead of the game, but also you can be quite nurturing and, and let people make mistakes and fail at the same time. Now, of course, there are many different schools of architecture. Um, you seem to embody a, a bit of a mid-century modern sort of approach to architecture. Uh, would you like to uh, go a bit more in depth in your architectural vision? Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely I'm inspired by all kinds of different architecture. So, some arts and crafts, some fifties modernism. But generally, we try to do as much as we can with the sustainability front. So, we're very into low energy, low carbon sustainable architecture but we also like to mix new methods of construction for so new technologies but also with that element of craft as you say mid-century 50s architecture that have that kind of technical quality with real materials natural materials well put together but at the same time using as many modern technologies as we can to be efficient and also to be lightly touching the ground and as, as, as low energy or even carbon positive as we can. Now are there any uh, lessons that can be learned for modern architects and modern builders today uh, from the uh, architectural practices and building practices of the past, such as uh, instead of using synthetic uh, materials for insulation, using wool, for instance? Yeah, definitely. I think timber is a way forward, actually. I think there's there's a lot of scope and a lot of, of really good stuff happening with CLT, timber construction and timber instead of using steel. So, t- you know, timber is really good as a lot of carbon benefits and it's sustainable if you pick the right timber it's fast growing it's very beautiful and if it's used in the right way it can it can do a lot structurally so we can get rid of concrete which is you know quite bad it's bad for the environment it's got a lot of air carbon embodied into it but using timber not only is it beautiful as a finished but it's also very good as a structure 
How important is it for you to have a sustainable architectural footprint going forward? No, oh, very, very, very important. As an architect, I think we can be we can be industry leaders of this kind of stuff. I think because you know we're, we're using five planets for one really, so we're we're gobbling up and using a lot of energy. And if we can as we are, then we're, you know obviously we all know we're going to end up in trouble. So I think as, as architecture and building is a big kind of component of, of carbon usage and. And also, as a positive, is a good way of reducing that carbon. The way we build, the way we recycle buildings, maybe retrofit a lot more instead of a new build. The, the products we pick, the insulation, as you say, we pick. The way we construct, the way we use the environment is all good and can all help reduce that carbon footprint, but also create beautiful buildings to live in. And also, I'd imagine it, it encompasses building buildings that will last for generations, as opposed to a lot of uh, buildings that were built in the post-war period, which had very definite lifespans. Definitely, yeah. We need to be, well, also, it's twofold. We need to build things that last um, and, and last well, but also that are adaptable and flexible. So in the future, have maybe brief change, client change, uh, you know, the world changes. The buildings don't need to be knocked down like we're doing now, but they can be retrofitted retrofitted and changed and adapted and be flexible. And I think that that's a good thing for lifelong buildings is that they have the capacity to be reused in different ways. I mean, one only has to look at the example of uh, places such as Regent Street to see something that was put in, you know, over 200 years ago that's still in active use today. Absolutely, yeah. London's got lots of examples like that. As you say, Regent Street is a very, very beautiful, very, very sort of classical example of, of grand buildings that have been adapted into different uses. So whether it's office, retail, shops, cinemas, cafes, and they have a constant, constant kind of merry-go-round of change of use, but they still last and they're still there. Now, of course, a big part about being a leader is dealing with people. And uh, as we all know, people are not infallible. They do have their bad days. And sometimes they don't always perform as one would wish they would. Um, how do you handle conflict within the workplace? Well, I guess it's being open and honest. I'm always very honest with people and hopefully they're honest with me. So, And if someone's made a mistake or they haven't gone as well as we thought, then honesty is always you know, the best for me. If people can explain they've made a mistake or if there's a real conflict, I tend to sit down and deal with it early on in an open and hopefully courteous and professional manner. And I'd rather, as I say, nip things a bit early than leave things fester. So I'm usually quite proactive with obviously maybe heading things off before they happen or if they do happen, nipping in the bud and dealing with it early on in that kind of open and courteous way, you know, hopefully in a manner that we all learn from and, and the mistake doesn't happen again or the issue doesn't happen again. Now, of course, there are many different types of leaders, um, but before we go into that, there are two different styles of leader, a good leader and a bad leader. What separates the two? Well, I think a good leader doesn't just dictate, you know, obviously, maybe the wrong word, but doesn't just tell people what to do and then not take them on board any comments or, you know, and it is, I guess, it's that being being open. Of course, you have to have a hierarchy in, in situations. And if you are the leader, then you, you need to inspire them to follow you, I think. I think people follow a good leader, but they maybe rebel against a bad leader. And I think to get the best out of people, for people to want to work hard for you and want to, to do more, then you have to be a good leader. You have to be able to listen and lead and inspire, I think, people to, to want to buy into your, whether it's your business, your ideas, your projects, your concepts. And a bad leader, I think, distance people and maybe people just work because they have to rather than they want to, I think. Now, unfortunately, our time together is not um, unlimited and we are drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Nick Wilson Architects? So we've got quite an exciting next 12 months. We've got a lot of projects coming to fruition, a lot of bigger projects getting built on site, which hopefully are going to offer beautiful places to live, to work, 
um, a lot of a lot of them about how we deal with housing and community conviviality. So hopefully we're going to be creating some bigger projects for the office, which will lead hopefully to more of similar size and also some sustainable work projects, which hopefully uh, show our skills and ideas uh, the way forward with the low carbon energy uh, and low carbon use of architecture. Well, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you today. And I very much hope you come back on the program at some point in the near future so we can have a discussion on architecture in the modern world. Nick, thank you. Thank you. That was Nick Wilson, owner of Nick Wilson Architects. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters 
who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. It was a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. 
there was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? 
And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most two stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you 
as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, well, the, the answer, is straightforward answer, is yes. Um, good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back on an earlier earlier question for me: that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. 
And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude okay. alongside that, going back to an earlier question. You, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.